0: is
1: The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether and moreover by them your servant is warned And in keeping them, there is great reward. So what we learn is that God's law is perfect. It's right. It's clean. It's sure. It's pure. So God's law is a righteous law. It's a perfect law. It shows us what is right and what is wrong according to God. God's righteous standards are there. And it's
0: always that. Rules We can follow rules mostly. You know, most of the Ten Commandments, as you read through them, it's easy to think, yeah, I'm keeping those. But as Pastor Daniel begins teaching on the Ten Commandments, we'll hear that there's a lot more to them than murdering someone or bowing down to a golden statue. God's laws were given as a tutor. And as we understand them, we draw near to God because we know him more. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled... Ten Commandments. Jesus is
1: real. I'm going to be honest, I don't expect us to get very far this evening. You're like, Pastor Daniel, we never get very far. <laughs> but but really there's those times when you're, when you're traveling through the Bible that you really just want to slow down and soak in some sections. And so today, now... Exodus chapter 20, we are on Mount Sinai, and we're going to be receiving what is commonly called the Ten Commandments. Now, we've been making this case all the way through um, the book of Exodus that really there aren't only ten laws in God's law. That's The Ten Commandments are unique, and we're going to see why. But uh, rabbis and scholars would tell you that there's actually 613 commandments. So in a lot of ways, it's like United States tax law. There's just a lot of stuff in there. And nobody really understands all the nuances of all of it. But the Ten Commandments are unique because they were given to Moses and they were written on two tablets by the very finger of God. And so these are unique ten. And so we're not going to get very far tonight because I think it's important both to not rush through these because of how um, important they are, but also because it's important that we frame, now that we're actually beginning to study the specific laws What's a, what's a Christian to do with the law? Because so much of what's gone on in the history of the church, um, this reality of what does the law mean to somebody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, um, it really affects everything. And so it's going to be important as we start looking at the law that, that I bring us to what I believe to be a very biblical understanding of the law. So I'm going to read the first two verses and then we'll just jump right on in. Look what it says. In Exodus 20 verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is what you could most simply call a preamble. This is just, this is the introduction of the letter. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God. Right, so so this is God speaking to His people. You notice the the words here, and we've been talking about this a lot. I am the Lord your God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In almost all of your translations, that is the way the English-speaking translations put down God's personal name—the four letters: the Yud, the Hey, the Vav, and the Hey—which was old-school translated Jehovah which they took those four letters and they put the vowel pointings for the word Adonai, which means Lord, like as in master. Most gods would tell you that that personal name of God is, is Yahweh. And, and that's the name that God revealed himself to Moses as at the burning bush. I am who I am. So notice it's the Lord, God's personal name, your God. And that that kicks us right back to the creation account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word is the word Elohim. It's used often for judges. It, it speaks of God in his attribute of justice. So when it, God says, I am the Lord, your God, he's putting all of the, the cumulative understanding of who he is together. I am this God and I have delivered you. That's what he's saying. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So God is saying, don't forget, this is who I am and this is what I've done. Okay, And so for each one of us, when God speaks to us through his word, we have to remember that this is who God is and this is what God has done. God has revealed himself to us in the writings from Genesis to Malachi. And ultimately, God has revealed himself to us in who? The person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he who has seen me has what? Has seen the Father. So not only is Jesus... God-like, but God is Jesus-like. Oftentimes we think that, hey, Jesus is God, but oftentimes we don't reverse it and say, you know, God is like Jesus. That's who God is. And God has delivered us, this act of deliverance. Remember when we were looking at the deliverance from Egypt? We made the case that they were under slavery. They were in hard bondage in Egypt. And God delivered them with a mighty hand, but God has delivered us Who have put their faith and trust in Jesus From an even greater bondage An even greater enslavement And that is the enslavement to sin Each one of us Every single one of us Has a We don't just commit sins We actually have a sin nature Which means by default Sin comes out of us All of us No matter how well Or how inappropriately we are raised Sin is just the norm for all of us What is sin? It means missing the mark That's what it means It means anything slightly off from perfection. That's the Bible's word for sin. It comes from an old English, the word comes from an old English archery game. Anybody here do archery? Oh, hey, cool. Okay, I never did that before. But I have played a lot of darts in my day. So darts is archery for people who don't have a crossbow. You know what I mean? But but you think about it, that bullseye, that's the mark right there. That's like the, per- whether you're doing archery or you're throwing darts, that that's the thing right there. You're getting it right in the middle. Anything off of that, that's sin. Everyone's aiming for the bullseye every time you're a little bit off. That's it. And And in the old English game, whoever was the farthest off had to buy the next round of drinks. I mean, that's just how the game went. But that's where the word comes from. That's where the word comes from. And so the idea is, is that we have all sinned. And we don't sin just because we make mistakes. We sin because we have a sin nature. And what Jesus did by dying on the cross and being risen from the dead for whoever would believe in him, God broke the stranglehold that that sin nature has over our lives. It doesn't mean that the sin nature is gone. It just means that the sin nature doesn't always win out. That's what happened. Okay, so this reality, God is speaking to the children of Israel After delivering them from Egypt But this also points to a greater deliverance from a greater bondage Now, as we're jumping in here What should be the Christian understanding of the law? Okay, according to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11 Now, I'm not going to go through it all But I did do a teaching on Psalm 19, Probably about five weeks ago on our Sunday morning, our top 10 series. I want you to go back and check it out. But what we learned is that the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The statutes of the law Lord are right. The commandment of the law Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And moreover, by them your servant is warned And in keeping them, there is great reward. So what we learn is that God's law is perfect. It's right. It's clean. It's sure. It's pure. So God's law is a righteous law. It's a perfect law. It shows us what is right and what is wrong according to God. God's righteous standards are there. And it's always that. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5... Verses 17 to 20, listen to what he says. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now see what he said. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. That's important. Because the law is still God's standard for righteousness. Jesus didn't come to say, the law is wrong. No, he said, I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus' mission in his body was to fulfill God's perfect law. And he goes so far to say, till heaven and earth pass away. So until all that has been created is no longer, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. Now, that jot or tittle, that's old English. The idea of the jot was It literally is the yod, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. A A yod is like an apostrophe. Okay? So he's saying not one of the smallest letters of the law or a tittle was actually a stroke. The difference between a P, a capital P, and a capital R is one stroke. That's what a tittle is. A tittle is one stroke of a letter. So he's saying heaven and earth will not pass away until every single stroke of a letter is fulfilled. Okay, so it's not destroyed, it's fulfilled. Then he goes on to say that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's important because the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day were the group of people who were the most scrupulous in keeping the law. They kept the law beyond the letter of the law. So, when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, that's like, think of the, the most religiously minded person you've ever met who never does anything that could even remotely be considered a problem and say, you have to be better than that person. So, maybe you take, think of someone like maybe like Mother Teresa, right? I mean, like, top, top shelf, your righteousness has to exceed their righteousness. And everyone who's sitting there listening to me, like, are you kidding me? It's not possible that's exactly what Jesus wants. Why? Why did Jesus come to fulfill the law? Because nobody can keep it. The law is so stringent, not only in action, but in motivation, that everybody falls at the law. We all are found to be transgressors of the law. And all you have to do is read the letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, And to the Romans, and and the Apostle Paul lays this all out. Because what he's saying is this, the law is perfect, and not only do you have to keep everything, but you have to also have motivations that want to keep it. So it'd be like, if you never, I mean, this has happened to all of us, right? Where where you're driving and you're running late, right? And And you're keeping to the speed limit, right? How many guys are keeping, yeah, you guys are like, uh, not me, you know? I go a little faster than that, Pastor Daniel, but, but, It'd be like if you always kept the speed limit, but in your heart you're like, I just need to go faster, just why couldn't this be bigger? You failed at the law. Because although maybe you kept to the speed limit, your heart wasn't in it anyway. You were doing it right, but your heart was wrong. So we all fall at the law. So then you might ask yourself, well, if the law is perfect, and Jesus came to fulfill it, and we all fall, it, then why is the law here? Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 3. This is verse 19 to 25 of Galatians 3. What purpose, then, does the law serve? Don't you love those questions, Paul? Like, I'm asking that question. What, what purpose does the law serve? Listen to what he says. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Now listen to this. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So what Paul says, in effect, is that the law was given to be a tutor. You ever have a tutor in school before? Like, I remember when I was in college, I had to take a calculus class and I had slacked off on math For a long time, and I'm like, if there's any way I'm going to pass this, I need help. I got a tutor who helped me understand calculus at least well enough to pass the test. See, a tutor is meant to help you understand that you need something. And the law functioned to be our tutor until Christ came. The law's job was to remind us every single day that we are not good enough. Now, what's interesting about this whole idea Of the law is that if you look at the different strains in Christianity Which we very much, I mean, we're a part of that But every style of Christianity Oftentimes has some sort of legalism baked into it And it's because of the legalism that's baked into it You know, like um, they would say that religion is the opiate of the masses that it's a power play. That's, that's the way Nietzsche and, and, and a lot of these postmodern philosophers talk about it. And it, the reason they say that is because a lot of people do it that way. Like, you look at the Catholic Church and its history. They wouldn't put the scriptures in the average person's language. Why? Because then you'd keep coming to church. And, and you could make them give you money to have your sins forgiven so you can build big buildings. And that's what they did. And they use it to enslave people. If you saw the movie, The Book of Eli, that came out with Denzel Washington, there's a guy in it that, the evil antagonist guy, he just wants a Bible because he knows he can enslave people with the words within it. So it's so easy, even for Christians, even though we know that the law is meant to tutor us so that we come to Christ, oftentimes Christians use the law to try and keep people under the law. But Jesus said, whom the son sets free is what? Free indeed. And that's why, look, if you like to worship on Saturday or Sunday, just worship God. I say worship God every day. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Some of you say, hey, I think it's totally wrong to have a, a drink of alcohol. Other you say, hey, uh, as long as I'm not drunk, I feel like it's okay. Guess what? Either do it or don't do it to the glory of God. Just read Romans chapter 14. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so easy to get legally minded instead of feeling the liberty to say, Hey, some of us, we have differences on these secondary issues. But the one thing that holds us together is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law because I couldn't. Now, because of God's grace, should we just do whatever we want and sin like rock stars? No, right? Paul in in the King James, in the book of Romans said, God forbid. So we don't want to have a view of cheap grace. Cheap grace says, I can't fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled in my place so I can do whatever I want and I'll be forgiven. Okay, that's cheap grace. That's not biblical grace. Biblical grace says, look, I could never do it. Jesus did it in my place. And I receive Jesus and I live my life in response to what God has done for me. And because God loved me so much that Jesus died a brutal death, I'm not going to do all those things that I know are sin. Why? Because Jesus had to die because of that. When we look at that cross, whether you wear it on your necklace or whatever you do, the reason Jesus was there is because of me and because of you and the, and the rebellion that we live under. And if you care about somebody, you do not want to break their heart all over again. So we live our lives in response to the reality that we couldn't keep the law. Jesus died in our place to receive the punishment that we deserved because of our breaking the law. So if you speed, you get a speeding ticket, you have to pay a fine. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died. That's why it was important. So we live our lives in response to that. So Jesus fulfilled it, we never could. Now finally, as we're gonna get into the law, I'm gonna keep bringing this to you because I think this is the most important thing. Because of 613 commandments, rabbis are always looking to, to break it down to the most basic level. You can read all through biblical writings with all these commandments. What's the, what's the most important commandment? And they asked Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first guy to answer it this way. Actually, Rabbi Akiva, about 100 years earlier, said almost the exact same thing. But they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, of course, in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And, of course, that's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. So when you're interpreting the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the other 603 that we're going to look at as we travel through the Torah, what is the most important commandments? That it's all about loving God and loving people. The two eternal things in the world, the two greatest investments you can ever make. You love God, and because you love God and God loves you, and God loves people, you love people. So when all else fails, love God and love people. And every way we're going to interpret the law is going to come back to those two commandments. You love God and you love people. Now, let me make one more qualification then we'll start moving a little faster. Okay. We live in a day and age where love is a word that has a sliding scale. Right? So we do not want kind of a squishy, westernized, 21st century definition of love. Because if you look at the... 21st century definition of love It's I love you I marry you you, get, you make me mad And I leave you That's western love I love you as long as you love me back I will be nice to you As you're nice to me back That is not biblical love At all Okay Biblical love is a self-sacrificial love And so The apostle Paul In the book of Ephesians chapter 5 Says that we should speak the truth in love You put those two words together Truth And love And John Stott A great commentator. Don't agree with everything John has ever said. But this quote he nails, I think, that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. So when we talk about loving God and loving people, it's a love and a truth that's married together. So I think a lot of what's going on in Christianity today is people say, I want to be loving, but they're afraid to hold God's truth in their hand. And so you get this kind of hypocritical of, I can't say that because I'm just loving people. It's like, well, no, no, no. God's love was so profound that Jesus died. But we also have to be careful because we're here in a Bible teaching church. A lot of you have been raised in Bible teaching churches. Sometimes we can be like Peter with the sword, the word of God, and we're cutting people's heads off. Remember Peter? He took that sword. You figured Peter was trying to cut Malchus's head off. He only hit his ear. That's kind of Peter's mo, right? He was aiming, but he just totally missed. We have to be careful not to be the type of people that were that the truth is more important to us than the love of God. Because people get hurt because of that. I meet people all the time, and I start talking to them. We start talking about the Lord, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, so you know, my uncle, my aunt, my this, my friend were Christian, and they were just so judgmental." Just I hate Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry about that. We have to be careful. Because the truth without love is brutality. And it's really easy when we don't agree with someone's lifestyle to truth them without loving them. And it hurts. And we drive people away. Thinking that the wrath of man will produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1.20. It doesn't do it. But the goodness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. So... The greatest commandment We love God and we love people So every time we interpret a law We're going to do What does it mean to in truth love God And what does it mean to in truth love people That's how we're going to interpret all of them Make sense So If you have any more questions about that I'll do my best to answer them So let's take the first commandment Take the first commandment here Verse 3 You shall have no other gods before me So the first commandment is clearly that it's only God. Only God. No other gods.
0: When we break the law, we have to pay for it, but we live our lives in response to what Jesus has done for us, not because we have to keep the law perfectly. Jesus already did that. Our goodness, though, can lead others to repentance. Our response to him matters. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus Is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about how the law should direct us. We can turn inward, but that's not right. God gives us commandments in order to remove all the obstacles between us and him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Sinai. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.